0: Hey, it's Aaron. And I'm Sarah. And this is 31 Nights of Scary Shit.
1: Oh, Heller. Oh, Heller. Hey, friends. We're going to start out up top saying thank you to Neil, who donated to our Buy Me a Coffee. I guess Buy Me a Slice, whatever the fuck it's called. Thanks, Neil. Thanks, Neil. Very helpful, Neil. Excellent, Neil. You'll be getting your free little package soon-ish, once I get your address. So yeah, there's that. Also want to shout out Taylor and Christopher, both who uh, sent us messages on Facebook. Thanks, guys. Uh, Both of which, um, or no, one of which I think sent us a very good um, case that we might follow back up with at some point soon. So yeah, thank you, guys, and Thank you to the rest of the shitheads that listen to us Yeah, on a regular-ish basis. Keep the emails
0: coming, because we we love that.
1: Yeah, and we'd like to do another Shithead Stories episode. Why not? Who doesn't like to hear from the shitheads? (laughs) I know I do. (laughs) I hear from them all the time. Good and bad shitheads, but anyway.
0: Yes, but our shitheads are the best.
1: Yeah, they are really the best of all the shitheads I've ever encountered. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's that, guys. Yeah. And girls. And people. <laughs> and animals. I'm sure there are some animals listening right now, like, who are these random ladies? I'm sure. Um, The cat is asleep in my dirty clothes and it's really <laughs> adorable. I just need to say that. Yes. Right now, for no one that can see it right now, other than me and Erin. So, yeah.
0: What are we going to talk about today, Aaron? <laughs> Enough about my ram- r- random ramblings? Well, it's alright. It gives me time to prepare because i get nervous every time so this is about the 1971 through 1972 um, freeway phantom murders is what the media dubbed the person who has not been caught Um, and in keeping with our um, our dedication of covering things that might not necessarily you know get as get as much coverage it's not that this wasn't covered it's just that this is a cold case that hasn't been solved and really it shouldn't be a cold case i love a cold case um it really shouldn't be a cold case
1: um but again it's probably in the same vein of the race it was absolutely driving force in this particular situation well
0: absolutely that's why that's why i picked this one i also would have done this anyway because i i i just was shocked to learn of these details and that i had not heard of it yeah before. instead of
1: just treating them like it they were probably victims mm-hmm. uh the they just treated them horribly anyway sorry i digress well, i'm gonna Continue. do i'm
0: gonna do a little intro here and i'm gonna focus largely on the victims and um um it was a little difficult to put all this together because the, 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 um, the sources I was using were very scattered. This being, this being considered a cold case, I would find something really good from like 2008. And then I'd find something from like 2014. So, so oh, my, weird. so my information, I had to double check and make sure I wasn't missing any updated sorts of things. So that's gotcha. why I, I, I'm reluctant to like give a tip line number because who knows might not still be a Active. thing, you know? Okay, so gotcha. yeah. So, in April of 1971 through September of 1972, an unknown perpetrator abducted, raped, and strangled six young black girls ranging in ages from 10 to 18. Their bodies were located along different points along Washington, D.C. roadways. A likely suspect was identified, but police were not able to gather enough evidence to link him to the girls' murders is believed the killer washed the girls' bodies before dumping them along the roadways. That could indicate he was aware of evidence collection techniques, or it could mean he was symbolically washing away the guilt of what he had done. Despite the cleaning of the bodies, trace evidence was found on the girls. Green rayon fibers, perhaps from a bath mat or other carpet, were discovered on the bodies. The case is considered cold, but retired investigator Romaine Jenkins... Still, re- still reviews what remains of the case files when she hears something that could be a lead. Have you heard of Romaine Jenkins before? Because I no. feel like, I feel like I, I've maybe she's consulted on shows or something. Because that name, I'm like, I know I've heard that name before. Well, anyway, she was a young detective. She was the first woman to make homicide in DC back in the late 60s. Fun facts. Yeah, that's and, probably why you
1: know her name. Too. Yeah,
0: I, I swear I've seen her like on TV and stuff before. So anyway, so I'm going to start with the victims. So the first victim was named Carol Spinks. On April 25th, 1971, 13-year-old Carol Spinks vanished from Wheeler Road after a trip to the 7-Eleven for groceries. She was just a half a mile from her apartment on Waller Place in Southeast D.C. She was one of eight children and and was affectionately called Bebe by her siblings. Carol was an identical twin, and she enjoyed playing jacks, hula hooping, and playing double dutch jump rope. Carol's mother had instructed the children not to leave the house while she was visiting a relative that day. Despite the stern warning from her mother, Allentine, Carol's older sister Valerie, who lived next door, gave Carol $5 to go to the store and buy TV dinners, bread, and soda. Sphinx's mother saw her on the way to the store and ordered her to go straight home after buying the items and threatened to give her a whooping if she didn't obey. When Carol did not return home, the family scoured the neighborhood for her. Her mother filed a missing persons report that night. On May 1st, children playing in a grassy area behind St. Elizabeth's Hospital discovered a body and flagged down a police officer. Detectives John Moriarty and Roy Lamb went to the scene. Carol was still wearing blue gym shorts, a red sweater, and brown socks, but her blue tennis shoes were missing. She had been strangled and sodomized and had sustained cuts to her face, neck, chest, and both hands. Oh yeah, trigger warning, this is pretty harsh. I mean, this is is a young girl, and I apologize to... Anyone that was not prepared for that, and some of the family members of these victims are still alive, so I want to try to be as sensitive as I can. Her nose was bloodied. Green synthetic fibers were found on her clothing. The coroner found citrus fruit in her stomach and concluded that she had died three days earlier, which indicated that she had been held hostage for several days. Oh, God. The clerk at the 7-Eleven said he saw Carol leave with her purchases, and a 14-year-old witness said she saw Carol carrying a grocery bag. A young female officer named Romaine Jenkins began familiarizing herself with every aspect of the case, even though she was not the one in charge. Jenkins, who is now retired, was the first female to make it into D.C. homicide. Over the years, she has kept extensive files in her home and reviews them often whenever she hears something that could be a lead. The second victim was named Darlenia Johnson. Two months later, 16-year-old Darlenia Johnson was found in the same location along I-295, 15 feet from where Carol Spinks was found. Off of 295. Yep. Intriguing. A D.C. Department of Highway and Traffic employee pulled off the road because he had car trouble. He called police when he saw the body. Oddly, this was the second call police got that morning about the body. Apparently, two patrol officers just did a drive-by and told dispatch they didn't see anything and kept going.
1: Oh, that's really fucking helpful, you pieces of shit.
0: A week later, on July 19th, one of the callers returned to the site and saw that Darlinia's body was still there in a horrible state of decay because it had been sitting out in the hot sun. He called Charles Baden, a D.C. police sergeant who was off duty that day. Baden rode on his motorcycle to the location just north of Bowling Air Force, opposite of 295. He rode along the shoulder until he located Darlenia's body. Darlenea had been reported missing on July 9th. She was going to work at the Oxen Run Recreation Center. She'd planned to stay the night at a sleepover that the center was having for the kids, but she never showed up. Darlenea's face and body was so badly decomposed that the medical examiner cut off her fingers to identify her. Being there was no DNA testing, they had to go by fingerprints. They could not determine the cause of death because of the state of decomposition. Oh my God. Here's a quote from one of uh, one of the detectives that um, was reinvestigating this in 2008. According to D.C. police detective James Trainum, quote, This was the killer's territory. He felt safe there. He felt he could do his dirt and get away with it. Detective Trainum was working the cold case back in 2008. He would drive the same streets that the killer did. Trayton believed that the killer, quote, likely fantasized about his crimes until one day he happened to see a little black girl walking down the street and took the opportunity. Ugh. The third victim was Brenda Faye Crockett. The first two victims were taken from Southeast D.C. Next, the killer went to 14th and U Streets in Northwest and grabbed his third victim. Nine days after Darlenia was discovered, the body of Brenda Faye Crockett was discovered on Route 50 in Chevrolet.
1: Oh god. Oh yeah. my it, god, I know where that is. Doesn't it
0: just give you the willies because oh, we kissed these places? Like I know. Brenda Fay was described as quote, a dimpled ten year old girl from Washington who had scads of friends and loved mugging for the camera and attending church. Aww. Brenda was wearing blue and white print shorts and a matching halter top. She'd been strangled and raped. God damn it. Green synthetic fibers were also found on her clothing. Prince George Homicide Oh, I just lost my place. Homicide detective Hillary Suskalowski, Seus- I think this is a male, even though the name is Hillary, told the Washington Post he put clear plastic bags on Crockett's tiny hands to preserve any evidence before placing her four foot six, seventy five pound frame in a black plastic body bag for the drive to the Prince George's Hospital morgue. Oh God! Crockett had left some bare had left home barefoot, wearing pink foam hair curlers. She was taken while she, was, while she walked to a Safeway store near 14th and U Streets in Northwest. She was going to buy bread and food for the family's three dogs, Ringo, Rex, and Romeo. Her mother, Rietha, sent her out around 8 p.m. I think that's how you say it, Rietha. Rietha thought that Brenda had taken a friend with her. Rietha went out to look for Brenda when she did not return after an hour. This is the worst part of the story. Tell me if this reminds you of any, of any other sick-minded killer. At 9.20 p.m., the phone rang. No. It was Brenda. She told her sister, Bertha, who was seven years old, that, quote, a white man snatched her up and took her somewhere in Virginia, but was sending her home in a taxi. Brenda was crying. She called 25 minutes later and this time spoke to her mother's boyfriend. He asked her if she knew where she was in Virginia. Brenda responded, no, and then asked, did my mother see me? Brenda's mother's boyfriend responded, how could your mother see you if you're in Virginia? He asked Brenda to put the man on the phone. However, Brenda whispered, well, I'll see you, and then hung up. Romaine Jenkins, the retired D.C. police detective, has a theory about this phone call. She believes the killer knew Brenda's mother and wanted to find out if her mother had seen him with Brenda earlier. Brenda's body was discovered less than eight hours later. Her bare feet were clean as if someone had washed them. So this guy calls or allows this little girl to call home oh god what an even sicker bastard yeah yeah that's awful fourth victim was named Neamoshia yates 12 year old Neamoshia yates disappeared on october 1st 1971 after going to a safeway store that was a block from her apartment on benning road Does this southeast guy
1: work at the safeway this guy has to work at the safeway
0: well you'll i'll get into what the connection or go be. to the safeway At around 7 p.m., Yates went to the Safeway to buy sugar, flour, and paper plates. She was on her own because her stepmother had just given birth, and her father was at the hospital with his wife and the new baby. A 16-year-old boy found Neamosha's body, which was still warm, about two hours later along Pennsylvania Avenue. She had been strangled and raped. Green synthetic fibers were found on Yates' body as well. What
1: the fuck are the green sick
0: Oh, from an apron. At this point, the media started inquiring if the killings were connected, and they dubbed the perpetrator as the freeway phantom.
1: Oh, spooky.
0: So, Brenda Woodard, six weeks later, 18-year-old Brenda Woodard disappeared from M Street Northeast while waiting for a bus. On November 15, 1971, Brenda and a classmate from Cardozo High School stopped at a Ben's Chili Bowl after attending a night class for typing shorthand skills. Her classmate usually drove her home after the night class, but his car was in the shop. Woodard got off the bus at 8th and H Streets Northeast and transferred to another bus while her classmate continued on the bus. David Norman, a Chevrolet police officer, spotted Brenda's body on Hospital Drive, south of Route 202, near Prince George's Hospital. Oh, shit. Just before 5 a.m. the next morning. That's fucking wild. The burgundy crushed velvet coat that Brenda had been wearing was draped over her. Her black turtleneck was inside out. Buttons were missing from her coat and skirt. She'd been raped, strangled, and stabbed four times. There were defensive wounds on her hands, indicating that she had fought the attacker. Now, I did see in one source that maybe they weren't sure about her being sexually assaulted, so... Okay, but what you're telling me is most of these victims
1: are being tortured and or raped. Yeah. But then they're being redressed and cleaned. Um... Like feet are being cleaned, clothes are being put
0: on, but on incorrectly? Possibly. Weird. Possibly. Brenda Woodard's case was different than the others in that she was stabbed. And there was a mysterious note in her pocket. The note read, quote, This is tantamount to my insensitivity toward people, especially women. I will admit the others when you catch me, if you can. And it was signed, Freeway Phantom.
1: Oh, don't like that. I don't like that.
0: Investigators believe the killer dictated the note to Woodard because the FBI matched other writings by Brenda Woodard. Experts noted it was in Woodard's normal writing and seemed to be written by a steady hand. And also they found, I think, that they took that the, the note was from one of her notebook pads. It was. Oh, God. Romaine Jenkins believes that Brenda knew her killer. She told Ugh. the Post there were no signs that she was nervous when she wrote the note. You don't think calmly like that as someone has kidnapped you and assaulted you. Jenkins also believes that someone in Woodard's community saw or heard something because people often sat outside and socialized in the street corners. Remain Jenkins grew up in that same area and attended the same high school that Woodard did, Spingarn. Is that how you say it? Spingarn? Jenkins, Not a clue. And Jenkins, I've heard of that. And Jenkins also, um, had relatives that had known of Brenda Woodard. Now Jenkins is like 10, 12 years older than yeah. her, but still. Diane Williams uh was the final victim 10 months went by and the Phantom was silent and then he struck again he returned now to southeast where he had taken the first two victims yeah so he's it seems like he he's moving around because he's afraid people are gonna are gonna Start Be- figuring being it suspicious. out. suspicious, yeah. Which means maybe they were getting close. So on September 6, 1972, the body of 17-year-old Diane Williams was found by a trucker who had pulled off the road. Diane was a junior at Ballou Senior High School. She lived in Halley Terrace in Northeast. Um, she, or do I have that wrong? I need to check because it says he returned to Southeast. I need to check my facts. Maybe that's
1: where she yeah. picked her up. Yeah,
0: yeah. I need to check my facts are here. She spent the evening with her boyfriend who walked her to a bus stop. Diane was strangled and dumped along I two ninety five, about two hundred yards south of the DC line. Uh, her name, Diane, was written on one of her white sneakers, and a dollar and twenty six cents was found in the pocket of her jeans. Now she's the only one whose shoes weren't removed, and if she's the one who had written the name on her shoes, it could be that maybe it was too high risk to take the shoe. I don't know. Oh, maybe she's the only one whose shoes were were still on the feet. I don't know that. Then how do they know? it? OK, Diane's sister, Patricia, went on to be um, a D.C. investigator. She's now retired and she had specialized in missing persons and child abuse cases. Uh, she was also a case manager for the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. So you can see why she entered into yeah. that line of work. Um, Romaine Jenkins became a supervisor in the patrol division after the Phantom murders stopped. She never stopped thinking about the case. In 1974, the FBI created a special task force to investigate the murders. At one point, there were a hundred detectives and federal agents from D.C. and Prince George's County and the Maryland State Police. According to Jenkins, they ran down every lead. Hundreds of suspects were developed, including a four-star general, a St. Elizabeth psychiatrist... Own a wealthy PG County developer who owned property in Southeast. What two men who may have been connected to Darlenia Johnson were questioned and cleared. One owned a teen club and the other man was allegedly seen in a car with Darlenia after she was reported missing. So one of the main suspects um I'm gonna get into now, St. Elizabeth's Mental Hospital is known as the geographic epicenter of these crimes. Yeah. Robert Askins, a computer technician and former St. Elizabeth's patient, was considered a strong suspect. Askins served time for the 1938 poisoning death of a DC prostitute. He was released in 1958 when his sentence was overturned on a technicality. A DC detective named Lloyd Davis interviewed Askins about his involvement in unrelated rapes. In March 1977, Davis was able to obtain a search warrant for Askins' rowhouse the police discovered the appellate court's opinion from Askins' conviction, which used the word tantamount, the same word used in the note found in Brenda Woodard's pocket. Davis told the Washington Post in 2006 that Askins was known to use the word tantamount in conversation in relation to his work. In addition, police found soiled women's scarves, photos of girls and young women, a knife used in another crime, and an essay from a girl. Another warrant was issued that allowed police to search Askins' vehicle. Two buttons and a gold earring were found under his back seat police did not have sufficient evidence to link Askins to any of the murders of the six girls. The green fiber evidence from the girls did not match anything found in Askins home or car and hairs found on them came back negative. Askins was convicted of kidnapping and raping two women in DC several years after the phantom killings. And he received a life sentence. He died in prison at the age of 91 in 2010. A group of uh, serial rapists was also looked at. They were called the green Vega gang what they were were a group of serial rapists who terrorized DC in the early 70s. Um, they these rapes were committed against women who were waiting at bus stops. The oh, name God. Green Yep, the name Green Vega is a reference to the car that the offenders drove. Mm. Morris J. Warren was originally convicted in 1973 of kidnapping while armed, assault with intent to commit sodomy, and two counts each of kidnapping and rape. Morris claimed the sex was consensual. Of course. His convictions were overturned, but he was convicted again in 1983. An inmate claimed he had information about a gang member's involvement in the murders. A local politician revealed details of the prison interviews on the radio, and witnesses then withdrew their cooperation. How could it ever be known if these criminals were just trying to get a lighter sentence, or if they really had information? There also were two ex-cops named Tommy Simmons and Edward Sullivan who were looked at. These men resigned from the force during their pro- probationary period. There was an incident in which their guns went missing. They were convicted of raping and murdering 14-year-old Angela Denise Barnes. Initially, huh. it was thought she was one of the phantom victims, given the girl's age and race. Also, here's an odd coincidence. The name. Four of the victims also had the middle name Denise. is Isn't that wild? Yes. When you look at the victims, four. That's weird. And she had the middle It's just weird. The two men could not be linked conclusively to any of the other murders. Was this a cover-up? Look what happened with Darlenia Johnson. It took 11 days to find her body, even though two people saw it and called police. Valid point. So what do they do at this point? One of the good suspects is dead. Um, If you couldn't prove he did it, how can you prove that he did not do it? So neither Romaine Jenkins nor James Trayman were certain that Askins was their man. Trayman theorized the killer lived in the same neighborhood as the first victims, Carol Spinks and Darlenia Johnson. The killer then went outside the neighborhood because he feared that people in the community may have noticed his suspicious behavior. Detective James Trayman says the police were not paying attention, but the neighborhood was. Romaine Jenkins believes the killer may have been in the military or transient. She posits whether or not the man was a Vietnam vet with PTSD or was angry with police. Both Jenkins and Trayman believe the killer was a black man in his 20s or 30s. Robert Askins was 52 at the time of the murders, and he did not murder children. His victims were between the ages of 24 and 42. Hmm. According to FBI crime analysis, the killer is believed to have at least a high school education and be of average to above average intelligence and was employed. He knew how to start conversations with women, but was unable to maintain healthy relationships. He either lived alone or with an older woman and knew the neighborhood where he abducted and disposed of the girls. Here's a pickle. Much of the evidence has been lost, misfiled, or purged. Of course. A a spokesperson for Prince George's County Police says the police are still investigating. However, a D.C. spokesperson says the case files were purged and it's no longer an active case. Wow. Despite these hurdles, the authors of the 2019 book, Tantamount which is also a podcast now, which chronicles the investigation into the murders, believes that the case is solvable. The book was written by a father and daughter team named Victoria Hester and Blaine Pardo, who spent two years researching the case. I haven't listened to the podcast yet, but I I think I'm going to check it out. In an interview with WUSA9TV, Hester and Pardo say that the killer kept trophies from the girls, textbooks, curlers, and shoelaces. The key could be a family member coming across these items and wondering why someone would be keeping these things. And I would like to put out information of who to contact, but the thing is, my the, the most recent source I have of this was 2019, so I haven't found anything current, you know, that I would be confident to say, call this line or, or such, but... Yeah. Um, the fact that it became a podcast, yeah, you know, and that they wrote that book, I think is, um, is hopeful, yeah. You know, somebody has to know something. I mean, yeah, people aren't that old, there are a lot of no. people still alive that are connected with this, you know. It wasn't si- that long ago, no, the siblings are still alive, you know. So that's just wild, but isn't it? Like, and it's the saddest story. When I learned about the little girl being allowed to call home, I wanted to throw up because she probably thought, Oh, I'm calling home, he's gonna let me yeah. go and i think that that was just bullshit white man took me to virginia i think he was i think he was nearby i don't think he ever took even took- i think
1: he probably did take her to virginia cuz i i mean if he's letting her call he's pretty cocky yeah you're pretty
0: cocky and then he brought her back and
1: yeah and then dumped her i mean it would make sense as to why they don't die immediately not always yeah and then as it's getting worse and worse but yeah but my thing is What happens to these guys when they all of a sudden stop? Like, why are they all of a sudden stopping? Did they move?
0: Did they die? Did they go to prison? Did they go to prison? What's
1: going on?
0: But I feel like, for some reason, those two ex-cops are better suspects than Askins. Yeah. He had a problem with women, but he had a problem with adult women relationships. I don't think he switched up his MO to kids. That doesn't Kids is a big difference. Yes kids is a big difference he had a problem with women adult yeah. women um well it's
1: just like the um case i'm thinking about doing next week that i don't want to bring up just in case i do end up doing it mm-hmm. next week where it's like yeah he probably killed the adults but he didn't kill the kids
0: oh yeah 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 you, yeah you know what i mean what like, i don't like about those two cops is the similarity in the ages mm-hmm. and the fact that two officers ignored that there was a dead body Called in twice. I don't like that. Yeah, and you just drive by. You just oh yeah, I don't see anything. That's exactly like, what, what they the did. Fuck. Yes, I, I feel like even back then, someone
1: would have been like, "Well, did you stop?" Like, I feel like even back then, and I we t- always talk about like the stupid shit cops do back yeah. in the seventies and shit like that. Yeah, but I even feel like I feel like somebody would have been like, "Did you stop the car?" Here's though?
0: an explanation of of what was also impacting this: that there were so many protest protest going on in dc at that time that the manpower was needed to control the crowds too so it was like this is a shit show we need all our manpower there so mm. yeah. perfect
1: perfect scenario for a serial killer yes to go the, the attention though. was divided
0: yeah. so and he's known as the first de- there's the first DC serial killer. Oh, wow. So, so, you know, they also were unprepared for this type of thing. So like there are three, four crimes in, and then they go, Oh, oh shit. this yeah. is the same person. Maybe, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah.
1: so that's wild. Yeah. Well, that was a wild case, Aaron. That one is
0: really sad. That's yeah. just really freaking it's sad. It's so
1: sad. And like, obviously we need to go read Tantamount. Maybe that's going to be our uh, first uh, book club book oh yeah our scary shit book club yeah um shit your pants is what the name of that book club is gonna be yeah um and uh that's a joke <laughs> for everyone that thought that that was lame it was um and uh gotta watch listen to that podcast i almost said well i just said watch
0: I oh said, i'm definitely gonna listen to it and maybe yeah. and maybe i'll clarify anything i didn't get right you know what i mean because yeah. i was a little shaky on some of my the sources like i said i i well, had them from all different times well when
1: it's a cold case that some yeah. people are saying the files have been purged yeah. i would yeah. imagine
0: some of the information
1: is not 100% yeah yeah and you can't handle it can't help that that's on the fucking assholes i mean maybe it's being investigated by pg county still but dc is the one that's purged their files
0: maybe no that's what i think it is yeah Because, because two, because what, two or three of the bodies were actually technically found in Pichi County. County, So,
1: yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, fascinating. Well, next week, friends, we're going to wrap up our month of covering, um, you know, cases that don't get a lot of coverage because, unfortunately, the race of the victims um, doesn't get them a lot of coverage. I wouldn't you know I mean? say
0: that one didn't get coverage. It just didn't get the resolution it should have. Well, yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. Yeah, and
1: it's because it was probably cops. So fun times. There with were that. a
0: lot of factors that, yeah, that pretty much stopped, yeah, the end result from happening. Well, yeah,
1: next week's case got a lot of coverage too. It just again, it they got a resolution that just you cop out resolution. Yeah. Um. In this fact that they didn't anyway, whatever. Um, so we want you to send us emails at 31 nights of scary shit at gmail.com. We want you to follow us at 31 nights of scary shit on Facebook at 31 nights of scary shit on Instagram at scary shit pod on the Twitter.
0: Also, I have a blog that i'm only three posts in but i'm dedicated now to doing my post before the episode so i also have a blog now at 31 nightsofscaryshit.com you can type it right into yes. the browser i'm talking to you guys like you don't know how to do that but
1: 31NightsOfScaryShit.com. Yeah, 31 nightsofscaryshit.com yes. we'll link it in the show notes as well yes yes we're very excited about this blog friends so help blow us up
0: yes help blow us up i'm still learning how to like develop develop what no i can blog i can do the content i'm just learning i need to utilize all the things on there like email blast marketing and figure out which i don't know how to do that shit well i have a whole book on it but you know what oh there
1: you go but
0: what you know how that goes it's 400 pages of oh my gosh how do i go through this yeah let me
1: just do that after a work day yeah exactly fun but anyway friends we just want to make sure that you also stay spooky uh bye